Amen. If you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 tonight, verses 5 through 11. 5 through 11, and you'll find that on page 1008 in the Black Pew Bible. Again, let me welcome you, especially if you're visiting tonight. I'd love to meet you after this service. We believe here at Redeemer that the Bible is the Word of God, and through it He still speaks to us. He pastors us. And he talks to us like a father to children. Two weeks ago, uh, before I was gone last week, we started a passage on hardship and God's discipline of his children. Just because Jesus is our great high priest who offered the perfect sacrifice for our sins once and for all so that we could be pardoned by God, so that we could have peace with God so that we get access into the presence of God. Just because Jesus did all that for us and much more, and just because we catch a sight of that and begin to believe in him does not mean life will go easy here in this world. We are to persevere in faith to the end. Uh, We are, uh, whether we enjoy the successes of faith, the beginning of chapter 11, or the sufferings of faith, the end of chapter 11, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus who endured the cross. We are to consider him who endured so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. Hardships can make you feel suffocated. And are able to suffocate us and our faith if we are persuaded that in them God is against us and not for us. That God hates us instead of loves us. And so they're dangerous things that we all experience. How do we respond to them? How do we understand them? From what perspective should the children of God have about them. Tonight we consider that from Hebrews 12 beginning at verse 5 where he says we are to endure because God loves us. He's disciplining us in love. Let me invite you to give your attention to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 through 11. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful 
rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Amen. This is God's word. May he write it on our hearts. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. We ask that it would be a light to our path, a lamp to our feet. By it, revive our souls. Give joy to our hearts. Enlighten our eyes and make wise the simple. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. What is God doing in your life? How is God working in your experience? This passage is a massive statement about the sovereignty of God over all, even the evils that touch you. Do you know the name Laura Story? Uh, Perhaps you know her song she wrote in 2011. It still airs called Blessings. Do you know Laura Story's backstory? In uh, 2004, she wrote the song Indescribable. It was sung by Chris Tomlin and reached number one on the worship music charts. I think you can still hear that one on the radio. God is indescribable, uncontainable, all-powerful, all untamable, awestruck, we fall to our knees and proclaim, you are amazing God. You might have heard that. Well, she, after writing that, married a man, a handsome athlete named Martin, who, uh, and then after that, she joined the staff of our sister congregation in the PCA, a, a perimeter church in Atlanta, and she continues to work in the music and women's ministry there today. She also won a Dove Award. She also uh, was, uh, she earned two consecutive nominations for Female uh, Vocalist of the Year. Uh, A number of tremendous successes and enjoyments in her Christian experience. But amidst of that, a brain tumor hospitalized her husband. He was on... uh, Uh, breathing machines for a time he suffered post-operative vision loss and memory loss and she wondered quote why didn't you just fix it god you're all powerful and loving just fix it later mentioning to her sister her desire for life to be normal again her sister said you know i think the detour is actually the road You may know what she means from her song, Blessings. Here's a portion. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise from your word is not enough. 
when friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. What if trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? You hear what she's singing? She's singing Hebrews chapter 12. We cherish, so many of us, a pain-free, comfortable, safe, and prosperous life. But God is more concerned for our holiness than those other things. And God is willing to do things that are painful, that make us uncomfortable, that might, in the way we respond, make us fearful in order to grow us in maturity. So the writer says, endure hardship as discipline so you don't grow weary and lose heart and give up. So that you don't do that, you need to know what God's up to. And uh, to point you in the direction of this passage, I want to highlight three things about discipline. The privilege of discipline, verses 5 to 8. The purpose of discipline, verses 9 through 10. And the product of discipline, verse 11. First, the privilege of of discipline, verses 5 through 8. Notice where he begins there. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Don't be forgetful, he says. Remember what God has already told to you in Proverbs chapter 13. Actually, what he says after this is kind of a, his own little sermon on Proverbs, thir- uh, Proverbs 3. Sorry, What does that say? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons is what he says. That is the privilege of belonging to God. To being adopted into his family as his children. And you understand the generic use of son here. Maybe even the legal definition. That legal relationship of father and son. That, in, that gives you certain rights and privileges in the ancient culture that of course could be for both male and female and he certainly intends here for all of us male and female to understand that this is the way the father is relating to all who are his beloved adopted children through faith in Jesus Christ he the father is not relating us simply to as creator to creature not simply as lord to subject but as father to his children. Father, for all who trust in the Lord Jesus, to save them. We say, if God really loves me, this wouldn't happen to me. And the author here says, God says, this is happening because I love you. It's discipline, though, And it's not retribution. Do not misunderstand what the author is saying here. It is correction. It's instruction. It is not punishment in the sense of judicial retribution. The reason we can say that, of course, is that all the punishment our sin deserves was received by Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 verse 1. If he bore all the condemnation our sin deserves, God is not condemning us by the things he's bringing into our experience. 
Christ was already there upon the cross. But what is God doing? He is loving us, teaching, instructing, molding, shaping. If you get heart disease or pancreatic cancer or dementia or you stub your toe, you can say confidently, God is not punishing me. Because God will never exact justice from me for my sins. Some of you really need to hear that. You do bad things and then bad things happen to you and you immediately think, I'm getting what my sin deserves. God's taking it out. A pound for a pound. Well, if you're a believer, that's not the case. Jesus got what your sin deserves. You are getting, perhaps, correction in love but not retribution and wrath Jesus suffered for you on the cross to spare you that wrath so that you can suffer to be made like him because of God's love it's still painful he he uses the word chastisement here whipping, flogging there's pain involved you don't want it, I don't want it we might dread it End of verse 7, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? He turns to human relationships. If you don't teach and correct and rebuke your children, you don't love them, he says. Fathers discipline their children. And we tend to think that parents, uh, I mean, in our day in America, we, we, we think the way to raise kids is to isolate them, to insulate them, to, to keep them from going through any difficulty, any hardship, any danger whatsoever. Yet good parents, he says, actually cause their children pain and suffering of a certain sort. Talk to me later about child abuse. That is not what we're talking about here. But we're talking about loving, kind, discipline. Verse 8, if you are left without discipline here from the Lord in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You see what he's saying? To be disciplined by God means, or to not be disciplined by God means you you don't belong to God in this relationship of sonship and fatherhood. I I walked off the JBU trails this afternoon, beautiful day, it's on the hiking trails, and there were three teenage boys getting on their mountain bikes to get in, and they asked me if that was the trailhead, and I said yes, and it's a Beautiful day, great day for a ride. And I saw one of the guys didn't have a helmet on. And I opened my big fat mouth. I said, you got a helmet? I was prepared to let him borrow one of mine. We're we're just up the street. But perhaps you can imagine how that conversation went. I won't tell you all that was said. I remained silent after my question. He went on and on and on. No, man, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't need one. His friend said, I tried to give him one, but he wouldn't take it. I thought, what a fool. But I was still smiling. Still not talking. He was still talking. You know what? If I die, man, I'll give you my inheritance. I got money in the bank. You can have it. I got an Xbox. You can have it. Yada, 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 yada. I just continued to smile, held up my hands. I said, look, we don't know each other. So that's all I'll say. 
but you only get one brain. I couldn't resist. But you only get one brain. Enjoy yourself. Be safe. Started walking away. He kept talking about all the things I could have from his inheritance. And while I was walking away, I said to myself, I don't think he knows how to use the brain he has. But I walked away. I walked away because he's not my son. He's a total stranger to me. Maybe I said more than I should have. I'm not his dad. I've got my own children at home. And my own children have been instructed that they don't ride mountain bikes in the woods without a helmet on. And I trust they're listening to me tonight that they'll be in a lot of trouble should that be the case. Because I discipline my own children because I love them and they belong to me. But I don't just randomly discipline total strangers. They're not my children. They would, they're illegitimate to me in that sense. And so to us who belong to God, God is a wise father. He uses even pain to educate us. And when he does, he is looking on us with favor. He is looking on us in love, not looking on us in disdain and disgust. I've just got to shape them up because I'm just about done with them. No, no, no. It's the privilege of sonship. He disciplines because he loves you. That's the first thing. The second is, what's his purpose in it? Notice verses 9 and 10. He builds his argument from the lesser to the greater. He begins with the human relationships. Verse 9, besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. I hope that you have. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? If you discipline them, they respect you. If you don't discipline them, They won't respect you, he says. And kids need this discipline. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Now here I'm quoting from Alistair Begg, who who has two illustrations on this point. One is from an Ann Landers column he picked up, written by a father to his son. Dear son, he said, The the article says, as long as you live under this roof, you will follow the rules. In our house, we do not have a democracy. I did not campaign to be your father. You did not vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God. I consider it a privilege and I accept the responsibility. In accepting it, I have an obligation to perform the role of a father. I am not your pal. The age different makes such a relationship impossible. We can share many things, but you must remember that I am your father. This is a hundred times more meaningful than being a pal. You will do as I say as long as you live in this house. You are not to disobey me because whatever I ask you to do is motivated by love. This may be hard for you to understand at times, but the rule holds You will understand perfectly when you have a son of your own. Until then, trust me. Love, dad. And in contrast to that, Alistair Begg goes on, the Houston Police Department put out a memo indicating to people on the basis of what they've been seeing in domestic disputes, how to ruin your children. The first five points go like this. Begin with infancy to give the child everything he wants. 
When he picks up bad words, laugh at him. Never give him any spiritual training. Let him wait until he's 21, and then let him decide for himself. Avoid using the word wrong. It may develop a serious guilt complex. Pick up everything he leaves lying around so he will be experienced in throwing responsibility on everybody else. You hear that? Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We should pity the child whose father assumed he should let the child have whatever he wants and do whatever he likes and come and go as he pleases. We all had human fathers who disciplined us. How much more should we honor and respect the father of life, says the writer of Hebrews. Verse 10, why is the discipline happening? Verse 10, for they, speaking of human parents, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. There's your purpose. It is for our good that we should become holy. Holy is good. You've heard me say it a thousand times. I think ice cream is good. And a bowl of it every night would be best for me. But God thinks my holiness is what's good. And he's determined to make me like Jesus. He's determined to make you, your, you his child, like Jesus his son. And then there's this other contrast there. We discipline, he says, as we thought best. Our fathers disciplined as as they thought best. That certainly doesn't mean they did it all right. Parental discipline, as you know, if you're a parent who's disciplining, is not perfect. Forget the books that tell you that if you just do it the right way long enough, your kids will turn out just fine automatically. Forget any book titled Growing Kids God's Way with a prescription for do it right and everything will turn out necessarily well. Because the people who really know how to discipline children know that they know very little about disciplining their children. They know that their motives aren't always right in doing it. We discipline our kids because we're mad at them. We discipline our kids because we're embarrassed by them. We discipline our kids uh, to be seen as righteous, to be considered as good parents, so that when they go out in the public, they make us look good. We discipline out of pride. Or we discipline out of fear. I don't want my kids to do what I did as a kid. Uh, and, and, And potentially we get over the top in our discipline and restrictive out of fear we believe the worst about our kids and then we're amazed when they exceed our expectations instead of love which believes all things hopes all things if you fail to trust god and you let your and in trusting god Let your kids make mistakes by which they can know the grace of God. You stifle their maturity. Let them mess up while still in your home. They're going to mess up. This isn't let them sin that grace may abound, but they're going to mess up. You want them to mess up while they're still in your home where you can show them mercy and teach them wisdom. 
But you get a kid whose whole life they have been stifled and shamed into compliance. Though their heart is rebellious, their actions wouldn't show it. They make their first mistake when they're finally out of the house and they don't know how to recover so frequently. Some of you university students know exactly what I'm talking about. If you beat your kids with law and duty, but you don't show them patience and kindness and forgiveness, that isn't love. And don't you know that it is not the severity of the Lord, but it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So our timing is flawed when we discipline. Our methods are flawed. Our motive is flawed. And as parents, we ought to say sorry to our children And say, I was wrong in the time that I did it, in the way that I did it, for the reasons that I did it. And ask for forgiveness for these things. Failure to acknowledge our wrongs can cultivate a response in our children that mom or dad is just a hypocrite. Because they know you're not always right, though you keep saying you're always right. They know you're not. Just own it. And teach them the language of the gospel. I'm sorry I was wrong. Please forgive me. Maybe they'll imbibe that language and believe it. Now does it sound like I'm talking like an expert? You would be deeply mistaken. This is a massive challenge for me. I have a hard time disciplining myself, let alone disciplining a household. And kids struggle with being disciplined. I'm not talking about mine. I'm sure they do. Kids just do, right? Mark Twain, love it. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Well, there's another contrast here. By contrast, God's discipline is unerring. It's always for our good. He is far more competent at this than human parents are. He is working all of it for our good to make us like his son so that the child bears the family likeness and no servant is above his master and Jesus learned obedience from that which he suffered. Not because he was ever disobedient, but he matured in and fulfilled the law of obedience to fulfill all righteousness. And he grew and he matured as a human being in that. We should expect that in our own experience because God wants to make us like him. You've got to let his good purpose then reshape your attitude to the hardships you endure. In August 29, 1542, John Calvin wrote to a friend, Beret, not too long after his son had died, his son Jack, two weeks old. The Lord, he says, has certainly inflicted a severe and bitter wound upon us in the death of our infant son. But he is himself a father and knows best what is good for his children. Now don't say Calvin was just in denial. Did you hear what he said? 
the Lord has inflicted upon us a severe and bitter wound in the death of our infant son. It's not denial. It's acknowledgement of what happened. But Calvin reasoned that God had a purpose, but he is himself a father and knows what is best for his children. Do you see how he's assuming the the intention? He's understanding the intention of the father amidst this heartache. My father loves me, he's saying. He means what is best for me. Samuel Rutherford used to say that, quote, faith learns to kiss the hand of her striking Lord. The hand that spanks you is the hand that loves you. Because, and you need to know this, you need to believe this, that the Lord intends you good. That's his purpose. Third, the product, verse 11. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. No discipline seems pleasant. It doesn't always seem joyful. It sometimes very much seems sorrowful. Aren't you glad that the Bible's honest about these things? And it's not wrong to cry out loudly and through tears, Lord, I can't take it. Lord, help me. Lord, I don't understand what I'm going through. You understand that Jesus, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. You know, the Psalms are filled with lamentation and, and, and weeping on the part of the psalmist because of the difficult experience. God gave us, as one put it, tear ducts for a reason. Be careful that you don't rush too quickly through the lesson of those experiences or ask other people to do so. Sometimes we just need to sit in the pain of that difficulty. Sometimes you'll be more helpful to another person if you just sit down with them in the pain of their difficulty and not try to make it all better quickly. But just acknowledge that sometimes living as fallen people in a fallen world, life stinks. And life is miserable. And we're kind of a microwave generation. We want a quick fix. We want it instantly done. We want God to make all things better immediately. And that may not be the lesson God wants us to learn. It may be God wants us to lean on him through hardship later he says later not instantly but later it produces a harvest of righteousness for those he says who have been trained by it you can endure great suffering and not get properly trained by it in part by the way that you respond to it it's possible to to uh, submit like the defiant little kid His mother told him to sit in his chair until he calmed down and he clenched his teeth and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. No submission there, no training being done there. You aren't being trained by it. If in the midst of it, you're responding in anger and antagonism to God or self-pity or defiance towards God, you are being trained by it 
if you suffer it willingly and submissively, not without tears, but you embrace it to learn the lesson that God has for you in it so that you can be trained and shaped and molded by it. Saying in your heart, I I don't like this, Lord, but I know that you love me. Walk with me. Help me. Teach me. Mold me. I mean, maybe you're wondering, if all trials are God's discipline designed to make us holy, is it wrong to seek to get out from under them? Not a bad question. Is it wrong to go to the doctor when you're sick? You know, should we just endure it for as long as we can? Is it wrong to try to get a better job? Is it wrong to try to resolve problems that irritate us or to heal and mend relationships that are out of whack, that, that bring trouble? No, of course not. But, but the answer kind of depends on the attitude with which we approach that trial. Are we in submission to the Father in the midst of it? Are we relating to the trial as though God loves us because he does, trying to learn the lessons he intends? Am I willing to accept then his will and not my will for the outcome? Like Jesus who prayed in the garden, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Or like the Apostle Paul who asked God to remove the thorn from his flesh three times. And the Lord said no, but the Lord said my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not wrong to ask the Father to remove hardship. It's not wrong to seek ways to soften the miseries of this life. But so often in His grace, He says to you, not now but my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes that struggle is exactly what we need. And here we close. It's a well-worn story, I think, of the man who found the cocoon of the emperor moth. When I think of moths, I think of those dull, gray, pesty things. But think here with the emperor of a a big and beautiful, kind of butterfly-looking moth. And the man took it home to watch it emerge from its cocoon. And one day he saw a little small opening appear. And for several hours the moth struggled to get out. It was trying to seemingly to force its body through this certain point. It wasn't achieving success. And he decided something was wrong. And so he, he grabbed some clippers and he, he clipped the outside of that cocoon so that the moth could emerge easily. Its body large and swollen. The wings small and shriveled. He expected that in a few hours the wings would spread to their natural beauty, but they didn't. Instead of developing into a creature that could fly, the moth spent its life dragging around a swollen body on shriveled wings. The constricting cocoon and the struggle necessary to pass through the tiny opening are God's way of forcing fluid from the body out into the wings. The merciful snip was in reality cruel. Sometimes the struggle is exactly what we need for our maturity. With it, the moth can live in harmony with its design. And with it, we Christians 
grow to enjoy living in harmony with our design and with our designer. Or as he says, bearing the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Your loving father knows what you need to that end. And he gives it to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that you spared not your own son to make us yours and grant that we would grow up in our salvation. Grant that we would be made more like Jesus to honor you and walk with you and enjoy you and comfort us when we grieve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.